My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Good morning, brothers and sisters. My apologies for the switch of scripture. I uh, had sent the wrong ones and I only caught it after the bulletin was printed. I apologize. That was uh, all on me. Uh, But I thought it was important because today the church in the West, we recognize and commemorate the memory of St. Joseph, the guardian of Jesus and the betrothed of the Virgin Mary. And we heard a, a part of their story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 this morning. And I was thinking about the prayer for the day, the colic for the day. And it talked about, if you remember just a few moments ago, it said that God, from the family of his servant David, raised up Joseph to be the guardian of his incarnate son and the husband of his virgin mother. And then we asked God in the colic to give us grace to imitate his uprightness of life and his obedience to your commands. And I think that we see hints of that here in this story in the gospel according to St. Luke. And so my sermon this morning is going to be some reflections on the passage here that we heard this morning. I think one thing we need to take note of right away that we see at the very beginning in verse 41 now as parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. What does that tell you? Well, it tells us that Joseph is a devout man. And it teaches us that Mary is also a devout woman. They are both devout and holy people making the journey every year to go to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And you know, we have extra biblical texts that speak about, you know, uh, the Virgin Mary in particular, things like the Proto-Evangelium of James, which is, which is not scripture, but some literature that, circle, uh, that, that circulated in the early church. But it's great to see that like right here in scripture, we see a clear indication of Joseph's holiness, of Mary's holiness, of their, of their rightness before God by obeying the law, by going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple every year, every year. Now, we, we have to note that right, Passover is arguably the most important feat of the Jewish people at, at, at that time and probably in our own time as well because we have to remember as Christians, I like to think of Passover providing the explanatory power, right? It provides the, the framework of how we are to understand salvation, how we as Christians are to understand redemption, how we are to interpret what God has done for us through his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, the day of atonement is important, right, Where they, with the two goats, but the Passover, I think, is the primary way that we understand what scripture is showing us about what salvation is and what salvation means. Because when we think about Passover, we think about the the shedding of the blood uh, of the lamb, we think about then that blood being put on the lampposts, or the doorposts, excuse me, and then we think about the death angel that went through the land of Egypt, striking down the firstborn, and death being redirected away, or death being stopped, or death passing over. The house is marked by the blood of the slain lamb. And then we talk about how it's not just enough that they would apply the blood on the, on the doorpost in the Passover story. What would they have to do? They would have to cook the lamb and eat it. 
and share it with one another and eat. And God tells Moses, this is something you will commemorate forever. Every year you're going to do this in remembrance of what God has done for you in, in liberating you from Egypt. And we understand that Egypt and all of this, this is uh, symbolic. It's speaking of, of our liberation, our freedom from slavery, from sin and from death. From sin and from death. And Passover provides that primary motif for us as we understand salvation. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus' own adherence to the law is modeled by his father and his mother and their obedience to the law. See, we also have to, when we, when we think of the word law, we think of and we have in mind instantly lists of do's and don'ts. And if you mess up that one list, if you, if you mess up on that list, then that's it for you, buddy, right? That's, we think of law as sort of like a, a static black and white thing where there's um, instant punishment, right? But the law doesn't function that way in ancient Israel, right? The law is a good gift of God's grace. And Paul says as much that the law was righteous, he says in Romans, unholy and good. But it's a shadow of the good things to come. We see Jesus also obeyed or kept the Torah. He kept the law. We see this, you know, in the Gospels. And there's modern ways of reading Scripture and interpreting Scripture that will say Jesus broke the law by doing this, right? He broke, he broke the law by maybe um, touching a dead person, right? Because, you know, he raises the dead. And the law forbids that. So he broke the law, so he's a sinner. But that doesn't take into the account, right, that, that there's a whole mo lot more going on in the law than just doing this or doing that, right? There's a whole system of interpretation that goes along with that. So Jesus, as we see in the Gospels, he kept the law. And he actually said like really difficult things like if, if you don't keep the law better than the Pharisees, he's like, you're in trouble, right? So Jesus' own adherence to the law is modeled by, I think, his father Joseph and his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we need to keep in mind too, right, they are not rich people. It costs something to travel to Jerusalem every year. And granted, Bethlehem's not that far away, but we know that they weren't wealthy. That's why they had to go to Bethlehem, and that's why they had no place to go. And Jesus even in the gospel says, uh, the Son of Man you know, has nowhere to lay his head. But as devout people, as those under obedience to the law, to the commands of God, out of a heart of love for him, they make this, this journey every year. Right? And then we see Jesus himself in the Gospels journeying to Jerusalem for Passover as well. And Jesus' journey to Jerusalem in the Gospel of John to celebrate Passover is the culmination of his entire ministry in the Gospel of John. And we see here, I think, Jesus' filial devotion to God is modeled by, I think, his earthly father, Joseph. Right, when we call Joseph Jesus' earthly father, we understand that Joseph had no, he had no role in Jesus' conception. Right? Jesus' conception is of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Gospel of Luke tells us right, that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Joseph is told, hey, this is going to happen. And Joseph, don't put her away. Don't divorce her because what is about to happen is of God. And he obeys and he listens. And he keeps her as his wife. I think that Jesus' devotion to his father 
is modeled by his earthly father. I mean, I think this is key for all of us, right? Because we, as adults, some of us, our children are grown and have left the house. Some of us, we have young children. It's important for us to pass the faith on to our children, not as uninterested observers, but as participants, as participants. It's incumbent upon us to model the life of faith that we wish our children to participate in. Later on in the story, when they finally find Jesus in Jerusalem talking among the scribes and Pharisees in the temple, his mother says, your father and I have been searching for you. And I think that this one phrase is interesting and I think that we can understand this in a few ways that are complementary, right? So in one sense, they have been searching for him because he wasn't with them. They thought he was a family. So they didn't bother looking for him until a, a day out of the city. And they're like, I thought he was with you. And then Uncle Bill's like, I thought he was with you. And then Aunt Susie said, I thought he was with you. And then they realized, oh man. And if you're a parent who's ever had a kid who's got lost, that sinking feeling that you get, right? They return to Jerusalem and they look for him for three days. And then they find him in the temple. So on one level, this is about concerned parents looking for a lost child. But I think that in another sense, I think their search for Jesus in Jerusalem for three days is a model for the human search for God, right? I think that this could be representative of either our conversion, right, in, or our re-entrance into the life of faith that we may have left behind. Many people, we, as we journey this, this, this road of life, right, sometimes people are unconcerned about where they're headed or what's on the horizon. Then something unexpected strikes us. Death, illness, job loss, guilt at things we may have done in the past, shame for how we've lived. And then when we experience it, it throws our world into turmoil and we don't know where to turn. And it spins us around and we sometimes then start going back the direction that we originally came from. Because oftentimes, that's where God is. That's where Christ is waiting for us. And Christ is sitting there waiting in Jerusalem. And many people grow up in the faith and leave it. There are many people who are culturally Christian. And I think what's happening in our culture, in our society now, is as churches start to, to, to shrink, particularly in, in, in the main line, right? I think we're, and even we, with other groups as well, right? We are seeing that people who may have claimed to be Christian may have come to church regularly, but didn't own the faith, didn't pass on the faith. Coming to church was a, a, a social contract, right? Because my boss might be there, so I better show up to church too, right? And he can see that I'm there and that I'm a, a good person and a productive member of society or something like that. But it's interesting, once one of the, those cultural things that kind of bound us together are no longer there, well, there's no point in coming to church anymore, really. Like, what's the point in going to church when you don't believe the things that I'm about here to, to get up and preach anyway? You know, we're going to confess a Nicene Creed this morning, and then we're going to come before the Lord's table at Holy Communion, right? If we don't believe in what it does or what it is, then what's the point of coming to church? And that has caused a great loss of a church attendance in our culture. The trappings of faith aren't enough to keep us in the faith as we need to live the faith. But for many people, we become rootless and we start to wander back in a direction that may be familiar to us. 
And then we meet Jesus. Some for the first time and others for the first time in a very long time. And he looks at us and he says, where have you been? I've been here the whole time. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> I've been about my father's business. And his father's business is waiting for you. And I think Joseph and Mary's journey to Jerusalem is a microcosm of our journey to faith. And I think it's a microcosm of their journey as well. Right? Because remember, as we heard from the reading from Samuel, Nathan prophesies, right, that there's going to be a person from David's family who's going to sit on your throne forever. And who is Joseph a descendant of? David, right? Which is why they go to Bethlehem is where David is from. I think that must have been in Joseph's mind during, during all of this. They may not have understood at, the, at that moment, but the text says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. And I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say that Joseph probably did too, kept these things in his heart because we've seen his obedience to God previously. The things that were told to her and Joseph that they may not have yet understood, they fully come to light in a deeper way as time passes on and as Jesus grows up. And then Jesus returns with them home. The text says he submitted to them or he was obedient to him. And, and for us, as we seek for Christ, if we have become lost and then we, we are found, Jesus returns and he lives with us in our hearts. But the text says here he was obedient to them or he submitted to them. So it's important to note, right, that he knows that he's God the Son. He knows he's the eternal word. He knows that he's the Logos, as John's going to say in John 1.1. He knows he's the one whom St. Paul is going to write in Colossians, the one who's created and sustained all things. He knows this. But while embodied on earth, he's also the son of Joseph. Even though Joseph, as we said, had nothing to do with his conception. Right? And so we have this beautiful model of submission modeled by both his mother and by Joseph. Right? We see Mary's fiat, let it be unto me according to your word. But then we see Joseph as well, listening to the angelic messenger. And I don't think it's a stretch to say this, brothers and sisters, that, that Jesus' submission to his father is a reflection of his obedience and submission to his earthly father. But also his earthly father submits to Jesus' father right? God our Father. It's like this circle of mutual love and submission, right? As, as Joseph submits to the Father, Jesus submits to his Father, and he submits to his earthly Father. It's this beautiful picture of obedience and love. And today on on, on this day in the church calendar where we remember and we commemorate St. Joseph, I think that his obedience and his love and his care for Jesus is a wonderful model for us in our own walk with the Lord. That there may be times when we might not even be seeking the Lord, but then we feel his absence, causing us to go back and look for what we think we've lost, only to find the Lord waiting for us with open arms and telling us, welcome home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.